Hello, welcome to Sharp Angles Podcast. I'm Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar. Rich, here we go. We're into April, uh, full full on to, to draft season. Uh, we kind of skimmed over free agency a little bit because from our point of view, not not a lot going on no. in free agency. If, if you do want to see that, I wrote up all the free agent stuff that happened. It's it's not very exciting, uh, but I have uh, you know analysis and grades that on chartfootballanalysis.com. So we're just going to dive you know, right into the draft. We're going to do some uh, positional previews over the next couple of weeks leading up to the draft. So before we get into that, Rich, how are we doing today? Doing good. Yeah, I think free agency, you know, the marriage of free agency and the draft was really illuminated this year, right? Because uh, we know the, the way now that the free agency is structured in the NFL, that you really just aren't going to find an elite wide receiver in free agency. You aren't going to find an elite pass rusher in free agency. We know you can't find elite quarterbacks in free agency. Uh, it just kind of, and, and defensive backs, right? And, and elite quarterbacks, coverage guys. Like you just don't get these guys available. They weren't available this year. And that just kind of married, ties into the marriage of the draft. Like you need to draft these guys and extend these guys if you want to have guys at that level. Uh, and this year, the free agency, I think, really highlighted that to the, the fullest degree we've seen. Yeah, and, and I think we even saw the other avenues that teams have gone in the past with trading for some of those guys. I mean, yes. like Jalen Ramsey got traded, and that's the way Miami got a really good cornerback and, and add to that class. But in the sense of you know the, the wide receivers that have moved, especially last year, how crazy that market was, all those guys moved via trade. And those guys just weren't available uh, this year because the the circumstances that led to those guys being traded and being available last year, it's just it, not nearly the same uh, type of mm-hmm. uh, of situations with, with their teams or, or contracts uh, or anything like that. So we saw even less movement that way. Um, and I think like even the, like the Rams have talked about it, like they were so far ahead of the player for picks type trades and, and that's how to you know uh, a market inefficiency but now everybody's doing it and it's not so much of a market inefficiency so uh, you're not really getting as good of a deal teams are less you know likely to be moving on because i think we kind of saw with like the aj brown trade you probably like are less likely to be you know moving on from a guy like that even if that is a situation where it might make some kind of sense i think we saw at the combine um or see with the packers i think right now in this inevitability that there you know aaron Rodgers plays for the jets right like it's just the hem and hawing over what the compensation is going to be yeah yeah absolutely and, and you know we had to go back to like the wide receivers we saw at the combine duke tobin was just like yeah we're not trading t higgins if you need a receiver like go find your own um and like that's and like we get like t higgins would have been like the type of guy who would have gotten traded a guy like we talked about it you know speculated like during the season if like he would be the type of guy that was available um you know the type of guy who uh coming up in in a contract year on a team where there are going to be a bunch of other big contracts uh but i think they realize we we need all the pass catchers you know we can kind of get so it's it's a very strange landscape. You know, we'll talk about the wide receivers uh, next week as we get into the draft because it's an interesting draft class in a way that there's not a lot of guys that like completely stand out in, in a way they have in maybe past classes. And there's some depth there, but it's just it's not like a you know a number one wide receiver type class too, which does make it uh, a little more interesting. But today, uh, we'll talk about the quarterbacks because that's you know where, where we got to start. Uh, yeah. This is this is another place where, you know, I, I don't think it's definitely a better class than last year, right? Uh, we had one guy go in, in the first round, and it was debatable whether he should have gone uh, in the first <laughs> round. He was ended up being fine, but we again, did this show last year, and we were we weren't harsh. We tried to have as we know we all you and I are both both kind of glass half full optimists anyways, eternal optimists in life, I think. And you know, we tried to, to paint a picture around those guys, the Malik Willis just like, there's some risk here, guys. Like it's a lot of risk. And then it turns out when we were vindicated because when the draft actually happened last year, the NFL was like, yeah, we didn't want those guys either. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, maybe those guys not go until the, you know, the third round was a little, uh, too harsh and i think that's kind of like a market overcorrection a little bit on some of those guys but uh, we have a, a much better class this year especially at the top and you know there's it's i always find these types of classes interesting where it kind of 
it's not so much the same as as 2018, but in terms of there's no queer like number one guy, right? A lot of these guys are, are grouped together. You know, there's probably as we get into it, two grouped more toward the top, and then there's there's another two, but it, it's not a, a very queer number one uh, type of place, and it's kind of also a a pick your poison type thing in what you want in a quarterback prospect you can kind of find in this class which i think is what's going to make these four guys that we're going to talk about today the four that are expected to go in the first round um that's what makes them uh, a little more interesting yeah i think it's it's a really interesting class uh before that reason right like you know everyone's already excited about caleb williams versus this class right like like literally everyone's like well if caleb williams is in this class he'd be the the clear one and everyone's expecting me the one or even drake may maybe would have been over one of the top two guys but but we're already seeing that that kick the can towards next year uh are are either of these guys going to be a bust then we get once we clear stroud and bryce young the next two guys uh, are going to be a fun conversation because what teams are going to get into that boat. But yeah, it's very interesting. So I think we're looking at it still right now and Bryce Young still has steam and Daniel Jeremiah still has him one, you know, uh, even with, cause these, some of these guys are plugged in, right? Like they kind of get a, a feel for what's going on in these rooms, how they, these NFL teams are handling their big boards and to see guys like, you know, like McShay hasn't moved and maybe you're not going to give McShay like the benefit of that. But like a lot of these teams haven't moved off Bryce Young being one. Uh, where everyone kind of shifted, the market shifted and saying, well, it's going to be Stroud after the trade. Um, like it still kind of feels like it's still not a definite non-zero chance that we still Bryce yet still see Bryce Young potentially go to the Panthers. Yeah, it's certainly possible. And I think, all, you know, a lot of that CJ Stroud hype uh, and we'll get into it, at least the hype to be the number one pick and, and why the Panthers traded up is, uh, you know, a shout out to the friend of the pod, uh, Josh Norris uh, at Underdog, who did all of those the scheme uh, Yo, video Josh shows McCown, with yeah. Josh McCowan, who is now the the Panthers quarterbacks coach, uh, who was not at the time when they were you know starting to look over those videos and and doing the prospects. And it just seemed like he was you know much more impressed with with CJ Shroud. But I don't think Josh McCowan is, is making, no yeah. the, the number He's one decision maker. In, yeah, right. <laughs> so like if. If they go with Bryce Young, like he's going to coach Bryce Young, and, and he still he was, you know, uh, had positive things to say about Bryce Young in, in some of those videos that they did. So I think that was uh, there was a little bit of a you know a market overcorrection there while they were you know just trying to jump on you know, connecting some of those dots that it just might have jumped the gun a little bit. But yeah, Bryce Young should probably definitely still be in play. So let's let's start with Bryce Young because uh, he is the guy that we like. When if you had come into this, uh, would have been expected to be the number one, like you said, a, a bunch of places where he still is, you know, the the number one guy uh, on a lot of boards. So, like we we have to start where all of the conversations about Bryce Young would be. Like if he was, you know, six one, he's probably easily the the top guy in this class. But because of his size, um, because of his weight, also. Um, so it's not just, he's, he's not like Kyler who is short, uh, but you know, th- thick in, in a sense, um, he's short, uh, he's thin, you know, weight over 200 pounds at the combine. Uh, but again, like we, we all know that was fake weight that he, you know, put yeah. on in the weeks before to show up over, um, you know, 200 pounds. So, oh, Wait, when you were looking into Bryce Young, and I know you put up uh, an article you know, a couple weeks ago about um, you know looking at the you know the pre-draft rankings, and, and a lot of it is fantasy outlook, but you can translate a, a lot of that into it. So, uh, when you looked at uh, Bryce Young as a prospect, what was it that that stood out to you, and what you saw? Yeah, I, I mean, I think when you look at Bryce Young, there's definitely a lot of excitement. I mean, you know, you the anticipation uh, and the way he he's just comfortable playing quarterback, right? And maybe it's a byproduct because of his size. He's forced to play that way. But like moving in the pocket, dealing with pressure, like he's arguably one of the best guys in this class, man. He was he was second in this draft class in yards or pass attempt under pressure. Only C.J. Stroud was better. And he invites a lot more pressure than C.J. Stroud because of how he has to maneuver, you know, passing lanes. Uh, and he's so good out of structure, right? Uh, that's the yeah. other thing with him. He's so good out of structure. And all those feel, all of those things feel like they just coincide because of his size, right? Like he's developed this play style because of that. And to me, that doesn't make his his size that big of a concern, right? Like if he was just like 
the size he was and was and had these like Boku college passing stats just dropping back and throwing to like wide open dudes would be different. But you see it's all, you know, stuff out of structure and it all kind of stems away like how he's been able to I don't want to use the word overcome his size, but, you know, just play around it. Right. Like make it a, you know, make it part of a strength of his game. Uh, and that's what I see when uh, when I see Bryce Young. Um, I think when you look at the two in context, like with, when you split the hairs, that's where I start to like split between and give like that's when you start to give like the the tiebreakers right to Stroud though where it's like you know like well he does this uh he is the prototypical size right like he does have the bigger arm he is a better thrower like outside the numbers and that's when you start to kind of like break the ties but I don't think that there's anyone even remotely close to Bryce Young outside of CJ Stroud in this class um and we shouldn't be entertaining anyone else you know having the because we've started to get to the point where people like have like locked in the probability for Anthony Richards ceiling. And I don't think that his ceiling is still like Bryce Young still has a really high ceiling. And I feel like it's not being treated that way. Yeah. It's one of those, it's with the Bryce Young thing. It kind of feels like he's in a sense. And and it's not really the, how, when you look at him, he's not the boring type, but because he was you know supposed to be this guy and because he was, the number one choice that like we would have thought, you know, going into the season and throughout because we have some of these, you know, other shiny things that we can, you know, be talking about now it's kind of overshadowed um, Bryce Young in in a way. And I think that makes it like, it's not as exciting to talk about Bryce Young just because like, that's what he was supposed to be. Uh, And it's much more excited to uh, Mm -hmm. talk about some of these other guys. So I I think like, that's kind of where that dynamic has come in because like, when you do watch Bryce Young, like it, like you said, like the, the out of structure stuff is I think what does make him very special uh, in, in the sense that he does that. Um, So, you know, he was, because out of structure passing in today's NFL is we've seen it, man. We just see it in the Super Bowl. Like it's such a huge advantage. Yeah, it's one of those things. And like you said, it's you know there's there's some hit and miss there because he does invite pressure. So on um, seventy eight point eight percent of his plays outside the pocket, he faced pressure. Some of that was you know he's getting out of the pocket to avoid pressure, and he's very good at doing that. But also he's kind of holding on to the ball kind of waiting for something to develop downfield when he was outside the pocket of 14.6 a dot. So he was, he was firing it down the field uh, when, when he was outside the pocket. Um, And that kind of hurt his completion percentage a little bit, 48.9% completion percentage when he was outside the pocket, which not really uh, what you want, but his on target rate, which uh, from sports info solutions, which is like hitting a receiver in stride was 82.9%, which is easily the best in this class. So the, the big difference there between where the ball needed to go when he was outside the pocket and throwing deep down the field and the actual completion percentage, that's a huge gap. But when you look at what Bryce young actually did, um, you know, he was putting the ball where it needs to go. And that's where, you know, he stands out and, and being able to to get around his size, like kind of like you said. Um, and when you look at like when he is in the pocket, when he's trying to throw over the middle of the field, like those throws are there, mm-hmm. right? It, it's not a, you know, a Russell Wilson type thing where he's uh, avoiding the like intermediate middle of the field uh, because he can't see it. Like he has figured out the way to, to find those throwing lanes, Um you know, he's, you know, it stands on, on his like tiptoes a little bit to, to do that sometimes. And that could make a little bit of a, a, you know, a jerky throwing motion because you have to, you know, set your feet again to throw, but he's been able to figure that out. Like, I think like he said at the combine, like I've been this size my whole yeah. life. Um, so it's not like he's, you know, relearning how to throw because he's short. Like he, he knows how to get around that. Um, which, which I think, you know, is impressive when you look at kind of the accuracy, he was, uh, you know, a 59th, uh, percentile to the, to intermediate level of the field. Like he, he can make those throws. So it's not like you're, um, erasing that part of the field because you have a short quarterback. Um, I, I think part of what the size does come in is like when he takes some big hits because he does like to stand in the pocket a little bit. He does like to kind of wait till the last minute to, or the last second to kind of make some of those throws to, to make something happen, that's where he gets hit a little more. So it's also not like a, you know, the thinner quarterbacks, like a, a Lamar um, or, you know, the shorter quarterbacks, like, you know, Kyler, um, 
where they have they're such good runners and they have spatial awareness where like they're they're not getting hit that often they're not taking a, a big hit they're able to slide and stuff bryce young doesn't always have that which i think might be the concern for the size there um but in terms of how it has him play quarterback i'm not too worried about it at all especially when you think of all the other things he can do right and and like yeah we've been talking about him out of structure and he he was good to the in the pocket and throws over the middle of the field uh completed 72 percent of those passes almost 11 yards for pass attempt in the pocket on throws over the middle field so it's not like he he's avoiding an area and like we have to say like, Oh, he only is good out of structure because he has to play this way uh, in this mighty mouse type fashion. It's bona fide all around. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. I mean, the one thing is like this, this past year, you know, he wasn't the greatest deep passer uh, in accuracy. Um, you know, at the lowest uh, percentile of on target rate uh, of these four guys that we're going to talk about, but, it wasn't so much that he was, you know, missing the throws because he still had uh, one of the higher completion percentages. So they were like getting there. It's just, it's not a strength of his, but he's so good at, you know, in that intermediate. And that's, that's a big valuable area too. Um, you know, over the past couple years, it, it, like if we go by EPA per play to the intermediate area of the field has been higher than it has been deep just because teams have been so good at exploiting that intermediate area. So if you have someone who is really good there, um, that's going to matter. Uh, and that's, you know, what, what yeah, we talk about that's the NFL yeah. now, man. I mean, the NFL has moved away from, you know, blitzing zone cover or blitzing man coverage. Like you've got to, you've got to beat a lot of two high safeties, uh, a lot of intermediate area. You've got to manipulate, you know, linebackers and nickelbacks now. And that's, if you've got a guy that can throw in that area of the field, that's what you want. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where like he, you know, I think we, we think about Alabama and, you know, you look at some of the guys, you know, Tua was throwing to some of the guys that Mac Jones was throwing to. That was not really Alabama this past year. Um, so he had a, a higher degree of difficulty than some past Alabama uh, quarterbacks and was still very productive and kind of needed to do some of that stuff out of structure uh, a little bit because the the offense just wasn't there in terms of, you know, the, the talent advantage that we kind of think Alabama has quite often. It that wasn't the case um and and Bryce Young was kind of able to you know rise above that which is another thing you kind of want to see with some of these prospects yeah Bama had the run that uh Ohio State uh is is on right now with just pumping elite wide receivers in the NFL even better ones are coming from Ohio State too which is crazy but that that Alabama run is very similar to the one we're seeing right now going on with Ohio State yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's talk about those Ohio State wide receivers and uh, the guy who was throwing to them. Uh, and CJ Shroud is again like Im- impressive in a way. Like he is the the more prototypical passer, uh, right? Like he's the guy who is going to you know be more in the pocket. He he kind of thrives on on the accuracy and kind of when you look at it, like some of his ball placement is just you know, insane. Um, and, and that's where he's going to stand out at the next level. Um, it, it's not the sense. And kind of when you look at it, it's like, we kind of, I think the way he's been framed to this point is, you know, that's kind of to, to a detriment where there's not a lot of that out of structure, but again, it's not, if you're playing in the Ohio state offense, like you don't need to be out of structure because right. the structure that's the, is, is working so well. We saw it a couple of times, but mm-hmm. again, over the, you know, the grand scheme of things and, and the majority of what he needed to do, there was no need to go out of structure. If he went out of structure, we'd be talking about him like bailing out of clean pockets because he, he didn't need to. Yes. They're, I mean, we're putting two, they're going to have two offensive tackles drafted in the first draft of this draft. And that's like the big thing people get with like Stroud was because of the Ohio state lineage, right? Like a lot of these guys before him were in really great systems with really great players. And they haven't really shown a lot in the, at the NFL level, but like the same thing with like, you know, Melvin Gordon coming out of Wisconsin, like he dealt with the same things, Derrick Henry, you know, it's like, how do you handle, like, you still just treat these guys as isolated prospects, right? Like we can't just say like Ohio state's never going to have a good quarterback, right? Like yeah. all, all Ohio state quarterbacks fail. And the stuff with Stroud that I think that he gets knocked for, I think it's, it's not that he can't do those things. He's never really had to do them, but they do exist. Uh, they played a game this year in like the wind and rain in Northwestern where like that you couldn't even throw in one direction and they used some him in the RPO and the, in the quarterback run game. He was good in it. Uh, we saw him against Georgia, the best defense in the country in the championship game when he was forced to move off of 
off of his spot and throw and play out of structure. He was excellent at it against the best defense in the country. And those are things that, that I stock a lot more is that it's that he just wasn't asked to do these things like he didn't have to, it's not that he can't do them and you can't project him to these things. I think he's probably going to run a lot more in the NFL than we've seen him run at Ohio state for sure. And I definitely think it's a part of his game that exists. Um, I see him more like a, like how we talk about Dak Prescott and, you know, people probably will bristle at that because they have, you know, it's, he's a polarizing guy, but like we're, we're Dak is like very much like, he's not like standoutish, right? Like he doesn't do anything that's like going to like captivate or awe you, but like just does everything well. And I think that's like what we have with CJ Stroud. Yeah. I think Dak is kind of like, I, I hesitate to do just like comps at right, any point, yeah. but like, if you kind of think of like the, the skill set and how it would translate, I, it is very, Dak-ish, where it's a lot. The the processing is what works. The accuracy is there. It's not a you know Joe Burrow level of a- accuracy and and how he thrives, but in the way that you know, Dak does. And I think that's that's a, a good place to be. Again, like where we are a pro Dak podcast here, realizing <laughs> that he is a very good quarterback. Um, you know, the, there can be some other you know corners of the internet where that uh, is not true. Uh, but this this will be a, a positive uh, uh, comp for for what we see there. So, yeah, it, it's one of those things where you know what we we talk kind of t- he's talked about as this guy who you know stays in the pocket and not so much a statue, but you know only seventy eight point four percent of his uh, his dropbacks came in, in the pocket last year, uh, which is a lower rate than Bryce Young. So like he's he has more controlled um, you know plays outside the pocket. They do some more boots uh, and, and things like that as part of the you know Ohio State offense. So that gets him out of the pocket um, a little bit more. You look at you know outside of the pocket, fifty six point five percent completion percentage. Um, you know still a nine point two yard that a dot. So he's you know he's able to play there. And again, much like we said, it's it wasn't something that was asked of him very often um but you look at he had 34 runs uh throughout the season uh only 20 of them were scrambles so he had 14 design runs over you know the the course of the season which you know is it's not a lot but it's also more than bryce young did who had uh, 31 running plays and 30 of them were scrambles so like there is an element to his game that can you know be but it's like Dak, like you can run Dak a little bit um, again, but like, that's not going to be the, you know, the, the main skill that you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. But when you look at how kind of good he is in processing things, and I think it's another one of those things where I think we do have to take some of the Ohio State offense into context too. And it's kind of one of those things we talked about with, with Justin Fields of kind of especially in the short area, it's a lot of those, you know, option routes. So you kind of have to wait a little bit, um, kind of trust the receiver and be on the same page. So it's a little harder to, you know, like have really good accuracy because you don't exactly know where the receiver is going to be going. Um, so I think like that it shows up a, a little bit because when, when I put together some of the, the accuracy numbers for these quarterbacks, you know, Stroud wasn't great in the short area, 15th percentile on target rate, just 38th percentile completion rate. But the way he's processing what they're doing in that area of the field is much different. And then when you kind of go on to what he's doing in the intermediate and deep areas, it's more than fine. Um, so when you look at what what he's doing in all those different areas, and it's just like he he just kind of has uh, that way that the, the processing that that is going to work, I, I think. And like if if you're held up on some of the athleticism issues, like that's the athleticism isn't, you know, a proxy for good quarterbacking. Like it, it helps, but again, like, and this isn't like a, a Jared Goff, right? It, it's not like a guy who's not going to move. So I, cause I think we've kind of talked about like Jared Goff is going to be the last like top quarterback drafted who just doesn't have mobility as his game. Like CJ Stroud is not that like, we're not going, if we're comparing him to Anthony Richardson, Sure, maybe, but like he's not a he's not an immobile guy, and I think like the, the framing of him, I think, has been a little weird um, in, in that way. Like mm-hmm. he's like some kind of you know statue, like you know a forty five year old Tom Brady uh, at this point, who's you know just the catching and throwing. Like that's not CJ Stroud at all, uh, and I just kind of think that the, the framing has been a little mixed up there. Yeah, I like I said, I I believe a lot of it more is just that you know he it's not it's not a thing of capability at this point. Just he hasn't had the 
to do that. I think that it definitely exists. And we've seen it in moments um, on target rate outside the pocket was fourth in this draft class, the third and yards are past attempt outside the pocket. Like just, and we saw, like I said, where we just last, last left off, he proved it to us. And I'm always big, especially at the quarter position, how guys play in big games and big spots. Uh, you know, the same thing, like when Deshaun Watson come out, when people were t- starting to tear down him, I'm like, I just watched that dude throw 400 yards two years in a row against Alabama. Like, I'm pretty sure the dude can play. And we just saw Stroud in a, you know, in a game where, you know, Marvin Harrison gets hurt in the second half of that game. You know, Jack Smith and Jigba doesn't play. He throws for 350 yards and four touchdowns, right? And he's, and he's awesome out of structure. He's five of nine outside of the pocket with two passing touchdowns in that game. Like, it, it, it exists. It exists at a high level uh, in proof. Like, I, I mean, it's weird, uh, weird to me too as well. Yeah. And, and it's a way where the, the decision-making like always makes sense too. Like there's not, there's not a lot of mistakes. Right. And, and you kind of could get hung up with, with some of the ways that Ohio state plays a little bit. And obviously they do have that crazy talent advantage everywhere uh, at, at wide receiver, but it, it still is something you need to, you know, uh, take advantage of and, and account for. And, um, you know, and, and there's so many just anticipation throws uh, that he has and, and the ball placement is just uh, where there's only one spot uh, where these wide receivers are going to be able to catch it. And that's where Stroud's putting it. Uh, so I think like that's, that's a very uh, impressive uh, trait that, that he has. And, and I think we've, we've seen that is something that that is going to translate. Are you yeah. excited about either of these guys on the current iteration of the Carolina Panthers? In a way, yes. Like you would hope you would have liked DJ Moore to still be there. Um, because I do have questions about what that receiving core is going to look like, even with, you know, DJ Shark is a fun player. Uh, but that but stuff's if, fluid still too. Sh- sure. But like, if you're now thinking of a second round rookie is going to be the guy yeah. that you're hoping to step in and be the guy who's going to make the difference. That's again, asking a lot. Uh, but I, like we, we talked about it all throughout last year, Carolina had a, a very underrated offensive line. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably one of the better units in the league. If you just look at it as a full unit. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of things to like, obviously trust Frank Reich in, in the scheme of things to figure things out. Obviously, the quarterback decisions that he had with Indianapolis left a lot to be desired, but Frank Reich is still one of the offensive minds I would trust to figure out how to use whoever he is drafting. Um, so, you know, it, it might not be a, you know, a year one thing that you get super excited about and it's, you know, instant production. Um, but yeah, like, I would I would trust the Carolina Panthers to to get at least something uh, out of the rookie quarterback because I think there are a lot of other things in place that could make it good and especially yeah. in that yeah, that division like I don't know like we're getting real excited about the Saints adding Derek Carr and like <laughs> I saw like in betting markets they're like a seventy percent to win the the division if you um, you know take a look at like what their odds would translate to uh, for you know, the actual odds of, of happening. And I don't know if I'm that excited about the saints. Like if the, if the Panthers can, can figure some stuff out, like, yeah, like they, they might be frisky. Sure. Yeah. They were a year ago. They're, they're there. And they've got the other pieces. Like everything's kind of there except for wide receiver and quarterback. Um, to figure Which out. are very important. Which pieces. are very important in today's. But yeah, the, the offensive lines there, I, I'm not really worried about the run game because I, I think they can, because of the offensive line, they can also figure that out. The defense is, is a lot of fun with the Giro Evero. I, that's going to be very like, we'll be nerding, I'll be nerding out about that defense uh, at some point throughout the regular season. So I, I don't know if it's like, you're not going to have need this quarterback to, to carry that team either. Cause I think like, we don't want to like cliche the defense and run game, but like I, there are going to be pieces in place um, where unlike, other things in this team are going to be fine. Yeah. yeah unlike pick two, which we yes. still have no absolute damn direction. What the, the Texans are doing like as a franchise, like as an organization, like we, like they have no direction. It, it's very hard to figure out like what, like what, where we're moving towards with the Texans. 
Yeah. So this was one of the things like I, I wrote the Houston Texans chapter for football outsiders almanac last year. And like, that was kind of whatever, like their head coach thing was going on, like just the roster. I was just like, yes. what, what are you trying to be? And really the only, the only core pieces they have are like what they just brought in. Right. It's, you know, Derek Stingley, um, and like it's it's that Larry draft Tunsil. class, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Laramie Tunsil now, yeah, there was at the time there was you know question whether he's gonna be traded. Obviously he gets the the extension, you know, Jalen Petrie, like it's it's those guys and you don't like it's it's pretty much a blank slate because again, in this pass off season, their free agency moves were let's bring in these veteran guys on like, one year flyers. And like, that doesn't really help you build any type of a core uh, at all. It's not even really like these, these young guys that you're trying to get for like two or three years and kind of hope you're getting the best out of them. Um, it's still like this, these one year things that it's just like, you're just going to keep rotating these in. So yeah, there's, there's no clear long-term direction here. And maybe we'll see that from what they do with the second pick. Uh, and that'll shape how they, you know, want to kind of shape this team. But yeah, Houston, it's still a a weird spot. Uh, and again, you know, starting over with a third head coach in in three years, I think D'Amico Ryan has, has a little more of a a long-term vision and kind of some assurances that he's not going to be the third coach fired after one year. So I think he can build in today's NFL. Sure. I, I mean, I would trust Ryan's to, you know, kind of have that view of, especially with, you know, how, you know, progressive his defense was. I, I think that'll, that should translate into the offense and what, you know. I mean, I'm excited about Bobby Slug though. Like first, like the first like Twitter fantasy, not fantasy. He was doing some fantasy stuff, but the first kind of like Twitter football guy to like really be in a position like this. Yeah, there we go. He's representing for uh, mm. for all of us here, but yeah, it it, it is a weird spot. Um, but yeah, I, I'm more confident in the Carolina spot than the Houston landing spot. Yeah, and and I, I think and I think we we kind of see how <laughs> how important some of these landing spots are, and like we've kind of seen, um, you know, being able to get something out of these quarterbacks because there is enough around them to, to bring them along. Um, again, like the, you know, if we go back to like last year, you know, Kenny Pickett, again, we like nothing about that offense was fun, but there was like enough talent that it was fine. Right. If, if Kenny Pickett goes like early to like one of the really bad teams, it is probably a disaster. Um, and, as we get to these landing spots, I think that that can bring us to Anthony Richardson because like that is going to be mm-hmm. probably the, the key to the trajectory his career goes. Because if you're listening to this, you're probably very well aware of Anthony Richardson and, and the pros and cons uh, of like the most athletic quarterback that ever tested at the combine. The guy is, uh, he's absolute, LeBron James, absolute freak of nature. So I, I was, at the combine at his presser i was like kind of like right up against um you know where his podium was so like i was on the ground and that he was on the podium that was already like higher and then like him standing up there like it was like it was just a giant um that was there just the, the way he's built it was insane to be like that close but then also being like beneath him with the podium already like then adding to like he was a crazy human to see in person uh and then like he runs faster than than anybody else um the question is like how well he throws the ball which uh, can be a red flag for some quarterbacks uh but so the more i dig into anthony richardson the more i'm in and, and that could, you know, potentially be a problem. But, like, again, you, you kind of said that like, we're starting to kind of, like, cement ourselves into, like, the ceiling outcome being the most probable. But I also kind of look at it, and I think, like, other people have framed it this way. I just kind of think what he brings also establishes the floor. 
And I think like that's kind of where I am. Like we look at Justin Fields last year. That team was mm-hmm. not good. Um, but there was like a, a six-week stretch where Justin Fields was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league while he wasn't throwing the ball all that well. So I, I think if you have someone like Richardson who can come in and you have that ability to just kind of rely on his legs and I think that like that really sets a floor for what you can do. And especially because when you look at some of Richardson's processing and we can, we'll get into the accuracy part, you kind of like when you're watching him and kind of figuring out what he's thinking, that's always in the right spot, right? I don't think he's raw in a sense that like, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's not always lined up to, and especially if you like look at his footwork, it's not always, you know, lined up to go to the place where it needs to go, but like, he's always trying to do the right thing, which is, is much better than some of these other like raw type of like Malik Willis kind of had no idea what he was doing sometimes, uh, when he was, you know, trying to, to load and like throw to the intermediate uh, part of the field. Um, you know, Anthony Richardson is there. He's always trying to do the right thing. And I think it's just like, it's the reps that he didn't get. Like he threw fewer than 300 passes at college. Um, and, and obviously that's not great for a potential like top five pick, um, you know, early first round, probably at, at the least. Um, but kind of- Trey Lance situation isn't helping him here. Sure. But again, like we haven't <laughs> seen what Trey Lance can do, right? Like- he hasn't gotten the reps to be Please, mad. And that's, that's kind of one of, one of the other things. I think we've, uh, there's been talk that like, just like it's assumed Trey Lance is bad, but like he had a game in a monsoon that right. had still a couple of good throws. Um, and like to, to think that what happened with the San Francisco offense, like Trey Lance would not have been able to figure something out in there where they wouldn't have been able to get a decent quarterback production. But again, that's a whole another thing, but, with Richardson, I think you kind of, you look at his processing and what he's trying to do. Again, he's he's not a guy like even Fields, where he's using that mobility to try to make something happen, but it ends up sometimes very boomer bust because it, Justin Fields have like the highest sack rate under pressure, highest sack rate when he's trying to you know move out of the pocket. When Anthony Richardson was under pressure, ten point one percent sack rate. That was one of the lowest in college football last year among all quarterbacks, not just these draft guys. Like he he has kind of the, that processing that is able to keep him out of trouble. Um, it's just kind of connecting it all together. And I think like that's kind of what makes Richardson so intriguing and why I think we're talking about someone with such inexperience this high in the draft, uh, because like, I think it is there. It's just going to take a little bit to kind of, you know, put those pieces together and get it out. Yeah, he's gonna be interesting. Yeah, to me, it all comes out like because he's he's like my siren song, anyways. Like I I love the the, the ceiling quarterbacks. Like you said, it, it does provide you an offensive floor. I think when you look at like these types of quarterbacks, uh, even when they haven't hit their ceilings, you know, if you think about like you know the Cam Newton Panthers, uh, you know, currently Lamar Jackson Jr. So there's a high floor there. It's just that you know his he takes such a leap of faith projection wise as a passer over those guys that where's the cost, right? Um, and I think that's where it comes to with me and Anthony Richardson, like, cause if you're the Colts at four, he's going to play probably way before you think he's going to play. Like, there's just no way if you take a kid at four and his only competition is Gardner Minshew on a team that's probably going to be very mediocre that there, you're just not going to get pressed to play him. There's just no way. So it's going to be very interesting to where he lands, uh, what the insulation is for him from a coaching staff perspective, from a game plan perspective, from a surrounding talent perspective, um, and when he has to play. Like it, These are all things that are going to be really pivotal for Anthony Richardson. They're pivotal for all, all quarterbacks, but definitely especially for uh, you know a kid like this, right? Because um, we thought it was going to be great for Trey Lance, right? And you know, eventually it's not his fault that maybe he, he said that like kind of loosely with the football it's, it's pulled from him when it shouldn't have been. Um, but, you know, is Anthony Richardson going to get that insulation? Because um, I'll tell you what, if it's at, if it's the Colts at four, it ain't happening. It's not happening there. Yeah. It, so I'm torn with the Colts because that would be a coaching staff, I trust. Uh, but again, the... Let me put it to you. If you're Shane Sykin, first time head coach, 
whatever, you know that like, hey, we might not even be that good this year. Maybe we're in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes or Drake May sweepstakes, but we are going to have a locked in potential elite edge rusher at four by just process of Stroud and Young going one, two. And will we can stay still and maybe we get Will Anderson. Are you taking Anthony Richardson? You're at, in that situation, first time head coach and putting all your chips on the table on him? Yeah, I honestly, I think so because – I think we've we've seen what passing on these guys can do, right? You look at what the Panthers did. Um, they were in a similar situation when when that rule came. Like they needed a quarterback. They punted for two drafts. They were still bad. Um, they got everybody fired, and uh, now they were in a position where they need to trade up to get to that quarterback. Um, so I think taking the swing on the quarterback is always better than not. Um, like as much as I like JC Horn as a player, like Carolina is in a much better spot if they just take Justin Fields, um, you know, when they, when they could have. Right. So again, and and I'm not going to be in this place where like, if you kind of had a quarterback to take a swing on a quarterback, I think that's another conversation, but yeah, like, and especially when you're, you know, the Indianapolis and you put it in the sense of like how much they have needed a quarterback and they've, they've basically, you know, punted on quarterback for years now. And again, like they, you know, brought in Carson Wentz and they brought in Matt Ryan. But again, those were like, th- those were not like very. That's just football God karma for having Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. For so long. Sure. Yeah. Like it's, it, it has been, but, but again, <laughs> no, like, <laughs> no, but like in a sense, it was in a way that like they, they didn't want to take that swing in the draft. So they tried to take safe further options. And again, like the, you know, the, the high, hindsight on the, both of those are, are, but like, even at the time it was a, you know, well, I think we liked Matt Ryan a, a little more, uh, but even that was a very old Matt Ryan against the, oh, you know, yeah. and a Carson Wentz who was, was just absolutely terrible um, in, in the year before they traded for him. So, you know, I, I, I kind of think like they, they probably should, do it. And again, I think Steichen has this sense where he, like he just came from designing the Jalen Hurts offense. So I think he kind of would understand the way to implement that slowly. Because again, like we look at the first like year of, of Jalen Hurts, he wasn't a great passer, uh, but they kind of kept him in a way that he was doing like kind of what he did well. And then we look at this past year, they kind of open it up a little more. Um, so I think there, there's a way to do that. And I don't think like if they do throw Anthony Richardson in there that he's, you know, taking, you know, seven step drops from under center. Uh, and like, he's got to, you know, read the entire field. Like, I don't think they're going to put him in that position, even though like they'll only have Michael Pittman to throw to So like, it's not the greatest. Um, uh, yeah, an expiring contract, Michael Pittman. Yeah. But, but, but again, like Steichen would be one of the coaches I would trust to do that. And so, but to, no, I'm just to, curious. Yeah. I was like, ask people the question though, if it was you, cause we can always, is we always say like, yeah, take the quarterback swing, take the quarterback swing, but man, you give me a first t- crack at a job. And now my feet are on the fire and I might never coach again. I might, this might set me back. I might never get to coach again because of this. It, it changes the dynamic for sure. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Um, but I mean, if if I'm Shane Sykin, and, and again, I just came from the, the Jalen Hurts offense, I kind of have you know, figured some things out a little bit in that sense. And, um, you know, the, the other thing about Richardson is kind of when we, you know, talk about his accuracy, which, which is not good. Because, um, yeah, this is where I bristle back at the comparisons because – one, people forget Jalen Hurts was an awesome passer in college. Yes, that was, that's another thing. Year. Yep. It got better every year in college. He improved every year. Cam Newton, good passer in college. Dante Culpepper, fantastic passer in college. Anthony Richardson, all project, 100% project. So even the, 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 the project label, I'm not totally sure on because what he was asked to do in Florida was – kind of ridiculous. And I don't think there's a lot of quarterbacks that would have looked good, especially with that few 
you know, starts. And maybe, you know, uh, if this was his, you know, second or third year uh, starting, and then he had to get thrown into the 2022 Florida offense, maybe it looks a little better. But this this was an offense that had like no easy buttons, like at all. So um, I I wrote about this when I, I wrote in the the accuracy piece for the quarterbacks, and I just shared um, uh, a graph on Twitter the other day of like a hundred draft prospects that I have in their final year. No quarterback was asked to throw from one to ten air yards, so like short passes less than Anthony Richardson. Uh, of all of these quarterbacks, not just first round guys, it's like all quarterbacks in, in their final year. Um, it was like less than 30%. It's just those throws were not part of the offense. So in a way where like you would think some quarterbacks, you know, get their rhythm a a little bit through that. It just, it wasn't a thing in Florida. They, they use, you know, the, the running back run game, they use Richardson as a runner to kind of act as that de facto, you know, quick game, short area passing. Um, So he just wasn't asked to do it. I think that's where some of his biggest accuracy issues come and then because those weren't there is forcing the ball down the field more and he threw to the intermediate level more than any quarterback uh in this class he was right about even with uh with Bryce Young um and then he threw deep often uh, so it was you know not a lot of high percentage pass and I think the degree of difficulty of being accurate on a lot of those passes especially when you look at you know Florida did not have great receivers either so i think when you kind of put it in, in context of of all of that um i'm not as concerned as like the bad accuracy would look if that makes sense <laughs> yeah i mean it's tough because I mean, we're, we're asking for for stuff that you know th- this is the tough part about it is that you're trying to you know take something that didn't exist and make it exist. Right. Whereas yeah. we take something with Jalen Hurts and we said, well, what Jalen Hurts is doing now, what he did last year in the NFL, like we saw evidence that like there was improvements and that there was, you know, success as a passer. Whereas like this, we're still, again, we put it all, we took it off of Anthony Richardson. Like everything you just said, took it all off of him and put it on the situation he was in. And that's always tough, man, with these, with these, with these types of situations. Um, and we're going to do it again with, with Will Levis. So I think there there is a difference there, and that's kind of where I'm higher on Richardson and I think lower on Levis because I think – And he's two years younger than him. He's full two years younger than him. Yeah. Um, yeah, Richardson's still – what, he just turned 21? Or he's yeah, still 20? The, 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 the first three guys things? we talked about are all 21. So as we get into to Levis, what – what struck me about Levis is, and again, it's also hard to kind of completely contextualize his 2022 because I guess apparently he like he was injured throughout the whole season, but still played. You can kind of see it a little bit. Um, you know, we had some receivers leave. Obviously, if you're he played in, you know, a I think we could say a, a pro style offense now because if you're you know talking about a you know a McVeigh, Shanahan, like that is a pro style offense, the heavy play action, the, the wide zone type stuff. Now, obviously, if you're thinking about what you would rather do, I'd rather be in the Liam Cohen version of that than the Rich Gangrello version of that, which he was in in 2022. But also, you know, it was a similar type offense. And like, this is the type of offense that's supposed to be able to be, you know, sense. QB proof because you are getting so much off of the play action and, and everything. And again, he was injured. There were some guys that that left and the supporting cast wasn't as good as it was in 2021, but that's the sense where his production dropped when the situation got worse. And I think you kind of also see that a little bit on film and what he does. I would think we you know talked about Anthony Richardson of how, he didn't get sacked under pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, Will Levis had yeah. one of the highest sack rates of in all college football and in definitely in this draft class of when he was under pressure. So over 30% of the time. Um, and he wasn't a guy that was, you know, you know, running around trying to, you know, scramble. That those were, you know, those were process type of mistakes. So when we look at kind of like the the processing of Richardson and it's just kind of like not all there. 
like it should have been all there for Will Levis and it just wasn't. And that's kind of what scares me as a prospect and why I think those two types of, um, you know, lapses in production are very different for those two quarterbacks. Yeah. Levis has a few pretty significant red flags that I always look for, look out for. Well, one is the age too. I mean, you know, he, he was going, you know, got 23 and a half last year. Um, so you get sting for that. You know, we talk about Richardson, he's two years younger than him. So it's, it's, you know, when you're scaling the production level, like you have two full years, that's that seismic at that, at the collegiate level. Uh, also you talk about negative plays. Yeah. He was, he was sacked on 30.4% of his pressures last year. No quarterback we've talked about so far was over 13.6%. So triple, basically triple worse at taking negative plays. Um, he was awful in the red zone. He took 10 sacks in the red zone. He threw four interceptions in the red zone. And he was awful versus his entire career in Kentucky against power five opponents versus non-power five opponents. And the last guy that, uh, since I've been doing this, that stood out to that degree was Drew Locke. Like, it was the last thing that had, like, these big wild night and day splits versus power five and non-guy. Like, and that's kind of where I see Levis. He, he very much, I can't just help but keep getting shake back and going to Drew Locke every time, every time. I just keep getting move back to like oh man this is like because anytime you your range of outcomes for a guy and people say well the ceiling could be like josh allen well that's worked out once that's literally worked out once we've been doing this since josh allen for how many guys have gotten the next josh allen thing i guess maybe people will take a small semi-circle lap on daniel jones's last year uh, as being that but like it didn't make a josh allen jump um but like all these guys have really hit like the floor outcomes and man i, I feel like he's the one guy that when we get to april uh, 27th is the guy that maybe drops a little lower than maybe all the projections are. Cause we remember we did this show last year. We had like three guys projected as round one and people were trying to push Ritter into round one at that point. Uh, I'd be, I wouldn't be shocked at all. If Levis is a guy that like he, he really dips down in, in, in the first round. Yeah. It wouldn't really shock me either. Um, it's just, it, it's, it's a weird thing. And I, I think you, Again, there were there were you know the circumstances that kind of forced 2022 to be a little worse. Um, but I think when you you know you can't just rely on the 2021 season either because that was I, I feels like you it was even like more circumstances that could have made it good for him on the other side, right? He like wasn't asked to do a lot, and the the crazy thing is like when you look at some of his accuracy stuff. So I was looking at you know all the the percentiles. In 2022, 26th uh, percentile in on target rate on short passes, so one to ten, third percentile to the intermediate level of the field. And what's kind of crazy is the year before he was 90th percentile in our target rate to the intermediate level of the field. But you kind of go back and look; it's in a I don't want to say like complete Jimmy Garoppolo type sense, but like those throws were open. Right, he was on target because he was making the decision to throw open passes, and when they weren't as open this past year, that's when the the accuracy kind of struggled a little bit. So there's there's a lot of context that needs to be in there too. But even in his good year in in 2021, we second percentile uh, accuracy on deep throws. So like that's super concerning, and like it was slightly better in 2022, but only 25th percentile. So like. I, there are some accuracy issues there. And I wrote uh, in the piece on quarterback accuracy, oh, we need to reframe Josh Allen a little bit because the Please. on-target rates like weren't terrible. Like, no, they, he's, his, they his great. Like, yeah, he, he's very much a, a, in the not great category, but he's also doesn't look like he didn't just like come from like the, like, but, from but the yeah, the, the, of... this wasn't like, you know, the 10th percentile across right. the, the category. Like he wasn't, um, you know, at the time, a lot of in 2018, a lot of us like didn't have the, the data to really be looking at exactly what his, you know, actual accuracy was. So we were looking at completion percentage. The completion percentage was terrible again, because of the guys he was playing with at Wyoming. But if you kind of looked at the, the process of what he was doing, you know, it was fine. And kind of, that's what we see Josh Allen now, right? It, it's not much different. He's still not the most accurate quarterback in the league. Um, you know, with this past season he was like 16th. Um, but you know, the, the the big throws can can take him there. I just I don't see Levis as the type of quarterback who is going to overcome 
that type of, of struggle. Um, but I think when we see like the success of an Allen or like a Matthew Stafford during the, the Rams Super Bowl season, like he wasn't super accurate on a play to play basis, but because they had the ability to make impact throws that really continue, uh, to make up for the accuracy deficiencies. And that, I think that's how we need to frame some of this. I, I don't really see Levis as having that. I would see Anthony Richardson doing that a little more. So I, I think kind of that's, again, the part of that, that gap I see between why we're a little higher on Anthony Richardson, why not so much on Levis, because I just think the the ability to make up for what you're not good in, um, I, I have more of those questions for Levis. Oh, 100%. I mean, you brought up the, the, the stuff with Richardson, you know, how good he's been avoiding sacks. Like, that, that just stuff, that stuff's not here. The, the negative but, plays yeah. are just, the negative plays I just have, especially at the quarterback position, if you're bad at these things, like, these are things that have been sticky. Like, if you look at, like, like quarks, you know, a lot of, like, college stats, you know, could be, you know, mid-plated. Obviously, you know, yeah. you can't, you know, Case Keenum's not going to come in and throw for 6,000 yards in the NFL. But, uh, you know, there are things that I've, proven to be kind of sticky over the course of, you know, collegiate production. A lot of them are, are turnovers and accuracy based. And that's the biggest concerns right here. Like, you know, if you're, if you're not going to be good in one, are you great in the other? Uh, and he's bad in both. <laughs> and it's very hard uh, to, to kind of paint that picture and say like, yes, this is the where I'm going to swing, even though he does have that arm and he does have that prototypical size and he does have, he is an athletic guy. But man, it, it's really hard because I can't have you turn the ball over and I can't have you taking sacks. I mean, this is, we're going to have this, com- we probably would have had this conversation more in depth if the Bears kept that wrong pick about Justin Fields. But like, this is where we are with Justin Fields right now too. And like where I was very pro fields, but like now I'm very much on the fence. It's just like, you can't keep taking all these negative plays. You can't keep taking them. And if you're going to come into the league with these negative plays, because Fields didn't really have that as part of his game in college. And now it's a big problem in the NFL. Levis already has that bit prepackaged in, and that's a lot to ask for me to say overcome these negative, all the negatives, uh, the negative plays. We can't, we can't live that way in the NFL. Um, I posted an article on the site last year that just showed like if you take a sack on a drive, and no matter what down it is on, your odds of scoring on that drive decline by you know uh, one fourth, you know, you know one fourth of drives of the sack score compared to not taking a sack. Like it's massive. That's a massive difference. Uh, I can't have those. I can't have my quarterback taking all these negative plays. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things. It's yeah, it, it is it is concerning. And, and again, it's one of those things like Fields has been able to make up for it a little bit when you know he scrambles. Um, and I I don't see the yeah way- he's not going to be a Fields level runner, right? He's and, uh, yeah. <laughs> I I just I don't see the way Levis makes up for, you know, some of those deficiencies. And yeah, one of the most concerning things you look at for quarterbacks is if they get worse as what happens around them gets worse. Um, And if you are, you know, making that exponentially worse by how you are reacting to it. And Levis is easily the most concerning uh, of these top four guys in, in that area. Um, and that, that, that worries me, um, because I think like you kind of see, especially when you even look at the guys that you can kind of, um, you know, it's scheme around to a sense where like the, the worst of Jared Goff in, um, with the Rams, uh, obviously, you know, that first year was a complete mess, but if you, you know, go into, you know, the 2020 season, when things got worse around him, it, he, he crumbled. I think we've seen that with Carson Wentz. Um, when his, when, when pressure comes, uh, when the situation is not ideal, he compounds those mistakes. Um, and I'd, I'd be worried about Levis, uh, doing kind of that same thing. So he's kind of on that, like Wentz scale for me. Yeah. And I mean, even uh, for me, it would be a complete outlier. You know, I do a, uh, you know, I have, I have a model for quarterback prospects and, you know, I have a career production grade uh, that's weighted by age and production. He would be the, he would have the lowest grade. If he goes in the first round, he will have the lowest grade. I've been doing this since 2000. Uh, currently the guy that holds that place right now is Jason Campbell. Uh, he would be the new leader for lowest grade to be selected for in the first round of any quarterback. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's tough. And, and I, mean, I don't think he's as bad a player as some of the players that have been bad first round picks either. Like, you know, me just doing the eyeball test. Like, do I think he's, you know, like a, a, a worse player than like Jordan Love, right? Or like, you know, or EJ Manuel. And I'm not there, but like, that's just, I'm just showing you like the degree we're working with, like of, of you t- saying, I'm going to use this draft capital and hope for this one outcome that's very thin, right? Like it is... And it could exist, you know, we could be here four years from now and, you know, Mia Copa, I'll, I'll eat it too. But like, I, it's very hard to, to say it, it's easier last year, right? When these guys go end up going in the second, third round, you say, Hey man, if, well, if Malik Wilson had been good, like it, he went with the proper draft capital. What, what can I say? Like, yeah. it, it, like that's, we're not going to have it. When you fail on a Will Levis, like, it's just so easy to say like, dude, you, you went, you dra- drafted like an 85th percentile outcome that you yeah, guys, what you got. Like, you know, you, you're going for that pie in the sky. It's it's rough, man. It's very rough. Uh, but so, yeah, he's he's one. I would not touch him. I actually don't even have him in the same tier as Anthony Richardson. Um, I have him in the same tier as like Hendon Hooker. Like basically I see him as a, as a prospect as well. Uh, I know you said before we got on, you didn't have a Hendon Hooker take, but he's kind of getting the – the some steam that he could be in the first round. He's not going. There's the first always round. that guy, right? I there's always he's not going to the first round. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always that you know that next tier of quarterback that kind of gets you know talked about going in the back half of the first round. It, it happens every year. Yep. Um, and then it just it, it doesn't it, it doesn't happen. So, um, you know, Hooker's got some trait. He's not like particularly like overly accurate for like what he is to like coming off the ACL it's it, it, it would be tough um especially you know being um one of the older prospects uh in the draft also so yeah already 25 and, and you talk about you know collegiate systems that maybe aided production this was the one this is the one of the five guys we talked about a little bit that I mean he's this Tennessee offense had hit they're not going to do any he's not gonna be able to do any of this in the NFL like they're not doing any of this like you know uh, quick hitting stuff, nothing out of structure at all. He he had 12 pass attempts outside the pocket last year. 12. Yeah. There's 12 more than me and you uh, don't play, which is absolutely cr- crazy. Uh, number one in play action attempts, RPO attempts, like all that stuff. Like, you know, it's just, it, he, he's just, he was running a system and he did it well. Uh, he did what right. was asked of him. I don't want to take that away from him, but I'm saying you, you can't move that guy into the first round. He's still more of a project. Like he would be someone for like, if Seattle's going to take him at like what 52, I think there's one of their four picks like in the front. Um, that would be like a spot, right? Like sure. uh, that's where, that's the area where it is. Like he's going to be in that, uh, you know, that, that day two uh, you take as a project uh, area, let him try to look, get adapted to the NFL game, not have to play uh, that types of things. But yeah, th- He's not getting the first round. That could happen. No, you wouldn't think so. And so oh, with him probably being in the second round and, you know, there, there's not a lot of other standout type of uh, quarterbacks in this class. There's, there's not even like kind of the underrated guy that kind of had some sneaky production. It, Was it there anyone really you st- did like and then you kind of went through stuff or nah? You know, when you kind of look at – the accuracy a little bit and guys who, you know, stood out a little bit, you know, um, or is it, uh, Clayton tune? Um, he's the one I've tried to talk myself in the most. It's, it's one of those guys that like, he, you know, it it, it was there a little bit, but also like through past the line of scrimmage at one of the lowest rates in this league, like Houston's kind of a, you know, a fake offense in that type of sense too. Um, yeah, I so, mean, I'll Tank Dell's one of these guys when we get the receivers. I mean, a lot yeah. of his production just isn't translatable to the NFL. Yeah, yeah there's there's no uh, there's no Tyler Huntley uh, in the, in this class. No, there's so. no Dan Pizzuto Tyler Huntley. That's a no, no, there's not. So uh, I don't really have one of those guys either. I, I, I've tried to kind of squint to see it. I wanted to try because you know the those guys are my siren song. So I've tried to like talk myself into like Dorian Thompson Robinson. Like, yeah, but, she's not. Not it doesn't seem like it's there. No, I mean, that, those yeah. guys, I love those guys, man. I mean, what can I say? Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Did, yeah, you, watch, did you watch any Tyson uh, Bajan? How much Shepard football were you taking in? I have I have not uh, done anything on, on that, no. <laughs> um, so I got, a, I got a little more uh, free time on my hands, so, but still probably won't be going into the, you know, the 12th quarterback uh, in this draft. I don't, I don't need to be doing that. But definitely but, fun. I mean, I, I can't wait to see where Richardson and Levis go, especially what kind of draft capitals put in, where their landing spots are. I'm very excited to kind of see 
on April 27th, what we get. Yeah, absolutely. And the top two guys too, like I, whether it's, you know, who goes to Carolina, who goes to Houston, it, I, those are, are fascinating. And like that could be the, the difference in where these careers go, because like, as we talked about, we would much rather be in Carolina than be in the current version of Houston. Like maybe there's still some, you know, long-term that they'll, they'll turn it around uh, a little bit, but yeah, it's going to be fascinating where where all of these guys go, and and that's I think what makes uh, these quarterbacks a, a lot of fun because there's a lot of projecting right now. Uh, but it kind of re- really does matter uh, where these guys go, where um, you know what the landscape around them is uh, when they get there, and and that matters so much for these guys. So that's where we are. We'll uh, we'll end the show here, uh, and we'll we'll be back. Uh, next week with uh, talking some some more wide receivers, tight ends. Is that what we're doing? Should yeah, we? sure. Maybe, yeah, that's 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 what we'll do. Um, we'll we'll jump into that class, which is uh, very fun uh, all around the the pass catchers, uh, which a fun group. So uh, you can read all of our work on sharpfootballanalysis.com. We're running through individual team needs uh, right now. Those are starting to, to go up on the site. We have the mock drafts from uh, Ryan McChrystal and Brandon Donahue. Uh, they're updating those weekly. You're just running through some, some different scenarios, so a lot of fun there. Uh, Ryan McChrystal has put a big board up on the site. I believe it's at 32 now. It's going to be at 50 um, soon, so you can also uh, be reading that. We have a lot of uh, great draft content um, coming and a lot of it uh, you know still to come so uh thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon